0: Is it all just drag? You know who to ask. It's the
1: drag king cast. You're right, man. You okay?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm okay, right? Everything's everything's gonna be okay, right, John? We'll have a nice regular podcast, won't we? And then you would just introduce yourself like you would on a regular podcast, right? Yeah, totally, man. I mean, I,
1: I'm I'm just. A lot seems to be going on in, in the U.S., and I just wanted to, with as my, my premium American buddy. Oh no,
0: no! I wanted to check in with you, Canadian you know? man. <laughs> You're not Canadian, you weka. Yes, You're I am. To oh no! Listen, there's a reason that I I'm not there anymore, and that I live in a car outside your house now, buddy. Okay, I am. I'm terrified. I mean, it's not surprising. Obviously, I so you know these, these things can escalate very quickly over the last four years. But um, you know, I, I'm just uh just trying to keep trucking along, trying to trying to just uh, ignore the white supremacist. Is uh, it a, is it a coup? We, we would say maybe a coup. Terrorism. I don't, terrorism. I, I'm gonna yeah. Go with it's,
1: terrorism. I'm
0: going to go with terrorism as well. Terrorism. Uh, yeah. It's
1: pretty bad. I feel like. I don't know how you feel about like this. I I feel like every time that we decide that we're going to record an intro for this podcast mm, yeah it's like something really bad happens and usually with a podcast it's like you know you might record a few weeks in advance yeah. but we've got to record like a day in advance of it going out because yeah. if it's two days in advance something else bad happens in the interim I just it's time doesn't make sense anymore we're just on a an endless sort of uh
0: what's it called like a running machine where a little hamster thing yeah you know and I'm just like trying to sup that water and water nozzle just keep hydrated like well I keep running and running and trying to outrun the next bad thing that's going to happen by the next time that we record an episode. Like, if you can imagine if we recorded this on Monday, that how many things would have happened between then and the day that we're recording this now? Probably endless.
1: I mean, I feel like on the hamster wheel, like, the water is actually bad. Like, yeah. the walls of the hamster wheel are bad. The only thing that isn't bad is my cute wee paws, and they're covered in sweat, and the sweat is actually oh. bad. You know,
0: I just... <sighs> What What is happening? Okay, let me ask you, like, we obviously, you know, and, and as white kings as well, we gotta be accountable for all the fucking shit that's going on and we have to be aware and we have to read about it and we have to, we have to do something, but how also do you cope day to day? Like, we also need to not make our brains explode from the trauma of everything that keeps happening. So and you're just man to man, like how do you cope? Like, how do you make your brain just not go like, ah, for like five minutes? My
1: main coping mechanism is to come up with like fun, uh, distraction things to do mm. during the day. So like, um, after I've done my, my morning reading, uh, learning how to be a good ally and a good feminist, I move on to um, like cactus topiary. Oh, um, like to use the correct Latin conjugation, I guess cacti topiary. Mm. So, like, I've got a few that I'm trying to make less phallic so that they're less problematic.
0: Yeah, you don't want one of those poking out at someone when they at least expect it. No, totally.
1: So, I spend a lot of time trying to defallicize them. That's quite rewarding and fun. That's how I'm making the world a better place. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah.
0: I like that. I think that that's you? you
1: have you got stuff like that, buddy? Uh,
0: well, I mean I used to I used to like pump iron like a lot, like I used to lift a lot of a lot of weights. Um, totally. but then I I I uh, couldn't remember where I put them. Um and also I think I was getting almost too muscly that it was intimidating to people. So I had to stop doing that. Um so mainly just uh just just uh, sitting thinking trying to be uh trying not to do anything that will make anything worse if you see what i mean i feel like if i just stay in the room and stay not touching anything or talking to anyone that things can't get any worse than they are now see that's my way of trying to be a good ally do you want me to send you a
1: a tiny vaginal cacti
0: that sounds hot (laughs)
1: I'm Jodie. I'm the voice of John Travolva. Hi, I'm
0: Katie. I'm the voice of Luce Willis. And, and welcome... welcome to this new edition of Oh No, Something Else Has Happened. <laughs> 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 I mean, you had dreams of starting doing this podcast. You're just like, oh, it's going to be this really sweet, safe space to talk about alt drag and kinging and masculinity. And then every week, <laughs> it's just kind of like, a new edition of two queers processing the apocalypse instead i know i think tier five and the siege on the capital have happened since last time we spoke which was a week ago yeah you're so
1: right it has been that is what has happened this week what will it be next week please
0: don't (laughs) i don't i don't know i think i literally said in the podcast last week if you didn't do something every time something bad happened, then you would just not do anything. So should we try and talk about something drag related? (laughs) To quote myself, Um, but I don't know. I feel like doing this is comforting and I think there are so many great queer artists out there who still exist and who and some cute queers listening to this maybe who need just a little break for an hour and I would like to do that and I would like to give that to them
1: yeah welcome to your break time, little <laughs> I think one thing that I really wanted to ask you about was whether mm. you'd ever performed masculinity before you started being a a drag king before you mm. made loose Willis mm. like had you ever i don't know been in a panto and played like the drag the drag character the boy. or yeah do you ever or did you ever do school
0: plays where you played the boy or yeah. did you dress up you know <laughs> Yes, 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 um, yes, I I was usually cast as a boy or a male character in school plays. I realised this in kind of just looking back at old drag things, because I think someone we would, I was talking to someone about like, did you ever do drag before you were a drag king? And um, one of my best friends I in my entire life is a girl called Hannah, who I went to like middle school with. And Hannah and I were the kind of old um, kids who didn't really talk to many other people at school and would sit at the back of the class and write um, comics and watch, um, rent a new horror VHS every week. And I, yeah, she's amazing. Um but... adorable little goths. <laughs> I know! <laughs> we weren't even cool enough to be goths, so we were just <laughs> <laughs> generic. But um, one thing that we used to do, which I was kind of reminded of, that like when I would go around her house on Friday, which I basically, every Friday I would go around her house to watch movies, and at um, w- one point we just started like putting on hats and sunglasses and moustaches and calling ourselves Sergio. I was Sergio and she was Horatio. And we would just kind of, like, hang out. But <laughs> these two, they were kind of like Euro trash guys that we had invented. And we would just, like, hang out in her house, like, as those two men. But just do what we would normally do. But we were with Sergio and Horatio when we would do that. Um, I'm
1: obsessed with you. I don't know. <laughs> that is such a niche and wanky thing to do. I know. And I, I love know. That you did it. I, know. I love that you did
0: it. Can I, I ask what was the moustache like that you It was, was have? basically the least, I had a little French moustache, and right. I had a sailor hat and a big pair of white sunglasses. And mm-hmm. she had a top hat and like little Aussie Osborne round glasses and like a handlebar moustache and a big kind of like black um, curly wig. I wonder if drama teachers
1: have a special ability to find the gay children, <laughs> because I feel like. It's such a common thing that we all went through, where we play we played the boys,
0: the more masculine also, girls. Yeah. Yeah,
1: but also we, I'm pretty sure we didn't advocate for ourselves to do that. Like I wasn't, I wasn't out as a child. I definitely wasn't aware. <laughs> definitely wasn't aware that I would like to be more masculine presenting. Yeah, I was yeah. always
0: a girly, a girly uh, kind of. I mean, I guess I don't know.
1: Um, I definitely, I looked very feminine until I was like 16, and then. I mean, I
0: had an incredibly
1: sudden transformation because I made out with my best friend. Um, the next day, I went and got a mullet. Oh. And before before this point, I had um, curly hair down to my ass. Oh so, like, God. really long curly hair. I was head girl. My school uniform was, like, a skirt. My my school is what St Trinian's was based on. So oh, my God. I looked like a slutty St Trinian's girl with very oh. long hair. And then, yeah, I made, I made up with my friend. I got a bright red Come mullet. Day, I mullet. got loads of piercings.
0: <laughs> a copy of Judith Butler miraculously appeared in your room. And...
1: Fuck yeah. I actually yeah. grew it out of my own skin. <laughs> <laughs> then, yeah, that was my transformation. And yeah, far before that point, I was playing like Smike and Nicholas Nickleby and actually had mm. an incredibly, and she won't mind me saying this because we've laughed about it a lot a very erotically charged scene with my my current flatmate and enduring bestie um where she was the um the person running the like orphanage for the boys and she had to um beat me in this That's scene boring
0: god i know
1: and they edited out so many of the other scenes but this scene was de- deemed entirely appropriate so oh, i think I could,
0: be, they could feel the chemistry i think they could they feel feel
1: chemistry <laughs> i had to be tied up dressed in rags and <laughs> beaten by my friend um who was so, also uh, i think was my second lesbian kiss down the line so i mean
0: a platonic that and beautiful didn't friendship have any later in life. No,
1: definitely, definitely not. But the drama teachers must have known. I feel like you enter the drama class and they're like, "Maybe <laughs> that one will play the boy. It will that help one. them.
0: That one, yeah, gorgeous one. Don't think I've ever have I ever played a woman. I don't think so.
1: I'm not sure. I Every have. day when I go to work. <laughs> you do drag Uh, up every day yeah um yeah I'm exactly the same I feel like I I collated like a, a plethora of masked characters before I was before I was even 16
0: i think that's why i resented so much going into things like sketch comedy and improv and stand-up comedy because immediately the only roles everyone ever wants to give you is you are now the wife in the scene you are the girlfriend in the scene you are the mom yeah. in the scene which There's sounds like, made up no, it is true yeah, it really all, happens yeah
1: but, but the parts are always more rewarding i mean oh. i don't think i would have gravitated towards them as much before i was um like more comfortable with presenting in a more masculine way in myself if there had been equally rewarding roles yeah. that were feminine presenting like there just weren't the girl yeah. parts sucked ass, I <laughs> <laughs> did not want to do them, they always sucked until until you were old enough to do like um, Rachel, some cheeky burk off or yeah. like you know, like Sarah that Kane stuff it doesn't
0: really matter what gender that any of the characters are or yeah, that kind of thing yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: I think the play we did after Nicholas Nickleby was um, we did Thoroughly Modern Millie and all the girls had to learn to tap dance (laughs) (laughs) and it was just like and I just got the year before is when I started at that school so I got my scholarship the year before and by the time we were doing Thoroughly Modern Millie I'd I just managed to learn how to have a posh voice, so I was like assimilated. I'd, yeah, I assimilated at point. Yeah, Bong
0: Joon Ho got the idea. hundred
1: percent. And um, but when presented with like a hundred, um, like white middle class girls tap all tap dancing in sync, it freaked me the fuck out.
0: I could not <laughs> handle. I don't think I could handle cult it now. That I've joined. No god. Yeah.
1: I was like, the drama department can call me when they've got uh, another. Kinky mask scene for me to participate in. <laughs> Until then, I'm uh, I'm out of here. Is that is that where loose came from for you? Because we've kind of talked about it on other episodes. The whole like creating mask characters in order to uh, convince the audience to trust you because they mm. try because they trust men more. They will laugh more at men, even when it is as superficial as someone who is clearly not a cis man in a wig they do relax more that's how stupid and basic (laughs) that prejudice is like it can be overcome with a painted on beard and a wig Mm. um but do you think do you think that's where Luce came from do you when you developed Luce was he just there or
0: did you craft Luce consciously that's a good question I think people laughing and enjoying a lot of how I looked when I was kind of disguised, but people not really knowing it was me, it kind of gave me this filter, almost this kind of layer of protection. So the work and what you're saying can become more personal and it can become more processing uh, and speaking how you maybe really feel, but because it's in the guise of this character, There's still a level removed, so you're not feeling as vulnerable and as unsafe as I probably would standing on stage, not in drag, doing this. I don't think that really answers your question. Um, I think it does. It's also very interesting and clever. (laughs) I don't think... I greatly enjoyed listening to it. Because the fact is, Luce is such a clown, and I, I don't really think his gestures and movements and everything are so beyond how I am when I'm talking. But I feel like what he talks about, it might just be silly dick jokes or that kind of thing but I always feel like there it's a lot more personal to me than anything I ever did when I wasn't in drag but yeah I don't I don't think my gestures or my movements then probably like if I just took my regular movements as myself as a person and just maybe exaggerated them a little bit more like turn them up to seven rather than the two that they're on usually
1: because that's of
0: that's you're saying that
1: because that's one of the things that we do when we're yeah I think you've said that without realizing but actually the the taking a movement or a gesture or a way of walking and then performing it from zero to ten being the most exaggerated way to perform it on a spectrum of Mm. masculinity that's um that's an exercise that we do
0: Yeah and also femininity as well which I think is we do the same thing from zero to ten on femininity because I think a lot of the times we think okay I'm doing dragging so I have to look at masculinity but if you do the femininity one as well you see how many of it it's about looking at your own body and seeing kind of what movements that you have that you perceive to be masculine or feminine and do you feel more comfortable in one than another or do you feel like one is a complete pantomime and one is absolutely perfect and how they can both become absolutely ghoulish and <laughs> buffoonery and <laughs> over the top and crazy, and there 's some in in mixing both of them and exploring both of them you see how arbitrary it all is um, and how mu-
1: and how much all of it is a performance absolutely because even the things that you do without realizing once you have to examine them and then make them more minute or much bigger Mm. you realize that it's not a neutral you've just gotten used to doing it in that way it's a performance that you are doing without realizing because society has crafted you to do it in that specific way and then once you see it it's so hard to not see it it's very difficult to walk around in exactly the same way as you always have done when you've had to exaggerate it and when you've had to decide why you walk like that.
0: The Loose Walk came about when Celine Lowenthal, our wonderful creative director, she did an exercise It was like, look at which parts of your body you kind of lead with like are you someone that kind of puts your chin forward when you walk or your chest out when you walk and <laughs> it's like I have really walk, weird walk of like I think my feet go forward first <laughs> when I walk because I'm like kind of cartoon mouse like flapping along yeah. um but the loose walk is the the bottom half of the body goes forward first because the crotch is the most important area so it's like I'm entering a space and every space I enter my dick is getting in the room before I get in the room because I've arrived like and that's it's
1: impossible for it not to yeah happen. exactly
0: but that's once I started walking like that I was like oh I know exactly who this guy is it's this kind of yeah I mean i would said it all there but Jodie what about you how did you kind of develop John's movements John I feel
1: like John John was there already because as a character as well yeah, not as, I hadn't had him there as like a conscious character that I called John, but I developed him while I was doing improv without really realising as like one of my favourite characters to play because mm. no one ever spoke over him. Mm. Um, because everyone has, whether you realise it or not, everyone has that little thing in their head that stops them from talking when men are talking and makes them listen more. Yeah. And because John um, has a very deep voice and is quite commanding and is very direct, no one ever spoke over John um, and so I did him an improv all the time because yeah. no one everyone spoke over me all the time and it was very difficult to get into. That improv troupe in the first place because I kept being told that I wasn't confident enough, and as soon as I started doing that accent, they were like, "Wow, your confidence has improved so much." And in my own head, I was like, "I know it hasn't because I'm an incredibly confident person who yeah. thinks I'm an amazing comic actor." And you and are, There's <laughs> no modesty about it whatsoever. And you so, shouldn't. <laughs> thanks, babe. Um, but I, I knew I hadn't grown more confident. I was just mm. doing a character that people subconsciously perceive us more confident because we see all men as as confident. And I think what we mean by confident is just that we trust them more Mm -hmm. because um, we we don't see them somehow as pathetic or weak, which is how we see women. Um, Mm -hmm. It's why we're not comfortable with people talking in the public sphere. Mary Beard wrote a really cool book about it that we talked about. Um, with Cheska a few weeks ago the women and power book the the way that we've um, been told through linguistics that women are these like weird animalistic uh things that moo and um, shrill and shrieking yeah shrieking we characterize women as animals when they um speak in the public domain and in comedy it's so much worse because you have to trust someone as soon as someone even like slips up their speech you stop laughing as much Mm. So that's where John came from because uh, he also spoke slowly, yeah. which was really useful because it meant that I didn't trip up, mm. and it gave him gravitas. So I think I think that's where he came from, um, it just as a like useful tool, really. And then I fell like deeply in love with him. When you made l- loose consciously, when you like joined Pex and you created this king, mm. did you know the answers to the questions? Because we have a list of what like 40 questions something like that because I I when I was asked them I felt quite deeply that I knew all of the answers and I think and I think yeah. that I would answer them the same if I was asked them now so like the is his room messy or tidy question I think I would still say exactly the same thing What's and like if it really tight really anally tidy. yeah I can
0: I can tell that I can tell <laughs> yeah control freak. what so is like, Lucy's room messy or tidy Jodie I think it's messy. Yeah, yeah. Well, trickster doesn't car. have a room. Yeah, he
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so it's very messy. In car. Very, yeah. Um, in his car. But yeah, did you did you sort of
0: feel as though you really knew
1: the Yeah,
0: answers? absolutely. You just know. You just yeah. You know the answers, but the answers might change. But you just you know they're right.
1: And if there's anyone listening that uh, wants to explore drag kinging think we would both really recommend doing those kind of questions with yourself asking yourself um an almost like random list of questions about a personality or a character mm.
0: um and what's just what's favorite film yeah what do they wear like what music do they listen to all the kind of things that you'd fill in maybe on a dating profile or something like that what are your five-year yeah. goals
1: um, like your daily routine or yeah
0: um,
1: yeah your favorite pastime it's really useful um, totally. to ground yourself in a character and to flesh them out um, and to also feel more legitimate in that character as well because I think yeah. with drag King, you have to really um, fight the urge to downplay a character because mm. you've been told you're not allowed to take up space so
0: it's, it's really fun 10 out, 10, really 10 out of 10 would no, recommend no, no. um what is john's favorite drink just to finish because i'm curious now
1: oh you are uh, it's whiskey
0: yeah. whiskey, it's of course. whiskey of course Very i think bojangles favorite drink is whiskey as well <sighs> classy but, uh, Kings, i don't yeah. know where near as classy as that <laughs> um speaking of classy <laughs> should we introduce who we're talking to this week
1: <sighs> i'm just i can't even believe that we got to interview chio so <laughs> like, i know that we know them as a person and they're our friend i just i just i've i respect them so much I yeah think they are the most incredible artistic being
0: yeah in chio. the world
1: maybe i don't know
0: <laughs> i think chio is definitely one of the most important people on the drag scene who is not a cis man like that's and that that's not mm. just uk anymore like that's international chio is booming and Chio is doing incredible things they're a performer they write they they take all these amazing photo shoots they make music videos they are an activist they are they are involved in debate like they are yeah I was a huge fan of Chio before we got to perform with them and I think you almost have that thing of like, "Oh my God, they're so good, and they're so popular and they're so incredible on stage and, and then then you actually talk to Chio, and Chio is the warmest, most generous, sweetest person in the world as well yeah. and um, all that kind of intimidation just melts away and you're like, "Oh my god, well I'm no I mean I'm just a huge fan of Chio. and they've done so much
1: they've done so much like vital work for um, the queer and trans community um and they've exhausted themselves doing it like they they've just done so much and deserve so much respect.
0: Fights for people every day. Like and ChiO is one of the reasons that I think that the drag king and the drag thing community is getting more legitimacy because of people like Chio who just do what they do and pull us all up while they're doing it. Um
1: yeah. So if you if you're not following them now treat yourself and go and follow them on every platform you possibly can
0: support them by their merch and chio
1: is actually in the running for mr gay england which is yeah. huge an incredible achievement um yeah so please go and support them in that because it would be oh my god it would be incredible if they could win and they should win so absolutely
0: go for it. should win i don't know who the other competitors are i'm sure they're all very nice people but fuck them <laughs> <laughs> Chio
1: from guy in England. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, please go ahead and enjoy this interview with the Ultimate Drag Prince, Chio. Chio! Oh, hey, yeah. oh, how are you? It's so nice to see you in the flash. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good.
2: Yeah, I'm freezing and I started my period, so I haven't left my bed all day. I'm oh, <laughs> yeah, in
1: mean, exactly you the it. same space. We're thank you for that leaving you your this. bed for us. Yeah,
2: I feel like since the last time I... when was it was it the last time I saw you your Christmas show. I think yeah. so. Yeah. How much has fucking happened?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like,
2: how are you? Well. Yeah. Yeah,
0: but what have you
1: been up to, babe? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: pandemic revolution usual yeah.
1: how are you both yeah okay i'm like i'm similarly like crampy like i had i had a, an absolute disaster re my tampon just like exploding so i'm just like my room is like slightly blood bathed right now um that's it's not like even an exaggeration like yeah it's like, the door, just like... <laughs> the door open and the gates the gates flooded um <laughs> Yeah, so I'm. I'm just like I got through it, and I'm here, and Good. I'm okay.
2: Wow, I don't mean to laugh, but Jesus. no, please no,
1: we laugh. have to. Yeah, have to or I'll cry, and I've already That's cried. What Jodie's so here for? Laugh, point and laugh at them. <laughs> I'll sure dance. The I'll dance stuff. for you. <laughs> we've been trying to ask everyone um, well, we've been doing. A little pronoun check in at the beginning, and also like um, asking people to just give a description of um what they look like in drag so like a, a physical description of their king or their you can't just say fit as as well so I think yeah <laughs> well you can add that as like an extra <laughs> attachment
2: literally the first sentence that was gonna sorry out, sorry
1: no please just say it say it
2: <laughs> my whole brand <laughs> cool um yeah my name is chio my pronouns are he or they um, I am mixed race. I've got thick black curly luscious hair. Got sort of bare volume. I'm fit as fuck yes. in drag. <laughs> um, in drag, I like to um, heavy contour, play with my bone structure and whatnot. My facial hair is usually a goatee with the what what is good, Like a little I mean,
0: French mustache or like
2: a little French mustache with mm. a little goatee. Mm. Like a, yeah
0: i can see um, them in my head
2: <laughs> and i usually um am wearing very minimal clothing because i do a lot of violet in it
0: oh my god amazing description so accurate <laughs> so what would we normally find um what would if i went to see a classic like cheer act what kind of thing would i see if i saw you on stage
2: well, it actually depends on my mood and the context of the space and um, the vibe of the audience, or like the context, the demographic of the audience, should I say. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see me doing an upbeat burlesque number with like nothing deeper to it, just like, oh my God, here's a Queen song, here's some Prince, let's dance. Oh, you no. Know, um you can see me doing some spoken word. Um, I write a lot, and sometimes people give me a microphone, which usually is just me rambling about how much I hate everyone and <laughs> <then> crying.
0: <laughs> so those are the two binaries. yeah and then all the beautiful shades of gray in between. I love that
1: exactly. yeah, cool journey. I've got to say the the ones where you just let your feelings out, it's always gorgeous. I Always love it my fame yeah, I'm a as well I'm a water
2: boy so I just can't gushing,
1: flowing I think Blowing. the first I think the first time I saw you do that kind of at was at um, do you remember when we both got booked for that like Ben and Jerry's pride thing in that tiny ice cream shop with like oh my
2: God, <laughs> yeah
1: it was like 20 queers and no one really knew I don't know how they got tickets or knew it was happening it didn't seem to be advertised anywhere and then we ended up Performing in an ice cream shop.
2: Yeah, no, I think it was a private event. I think it was like invite only, and was it all these trans people to perform. And I remember you were there, and then I looked to my left, and it was Travis Alabanza. And then I was
1: like, "What is happening? And the yeah, league in we... the ice
0: cream shop. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Best tiny gig ever, ever. I mean, I feel yeah. like sorry, Karen." No, no no i was just gonna say like i feel like everyone is just swimming around in existential lockdown dread but chia you've you've achieved shit you're a finalist in mr gay england what the fuck that's amazing
0: <laughs> yeah what the fuck is that about <laughs> yeah so how did that come did you Did you enter did people someone enter you was it like a big passion like a whim
2: well the application well they made a twitter well the glory
0: yeah
2: is this, is we lost the, the, the glory yeah on twitter tagged me in a post that mr gay england made back in october 2019 so this was before i had had my surgery or anything and they just tagged me and they were like oh my god chio for mr gay england and i was like I don't know the whole idea that these the, the glory are like family to me and they're 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 such yeah. a core London queer nightlife. And the fact that they saw me pre-surgery, I'm not on hormones, none of I'm not I wasn't or I'm not following any linear transitional routes that people mm. typically associate with being a trans man for them to even then think I was worthy of being Mr. Gate England really just warmed me. And I mm-hmm. think when they tagged me in that, I was like, had a little cry. And I was
0: like, <laughs> oh my cry God. now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I was like, sure, fuck it, why not? So um um I applied I went through the application process and their response <laughs> initially the Mr. Gate England response was Oh, really, really cool. Um, we're more than happy to welcome, welcome your application. But just so you know, are you sure you don't want to enter our drag competition instead? Because mm-hmm. we have Mr Gay England and then we have the drag competition. And I was like, listen, mate, before I am a drag artist, I am a man. So mm-hmm. no, Mr Gay England, it is. That's,
1: That's so cool. So congrats on getting to the final. What, what, when is it happening? How does it work? Is it virtual?
2: Yeah. No, it's not virtual. It is in person. Hmm. And it is currently due to be on April 1st, 2021. Okay. And um, there are five categories. Oh, my God. Okay.
1: So
0: I love this. Too. Like, yeah. what is it?
1: Tell us everything.
0: Everyone. World peace. Like, <laughs> you got your little wave ready and everything.
2: Okay. So, we've got the charity fundraiser.
0: Okay. Which that's which is... more worthy.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's 20%. And then you've got um, The Written Test, which I'm like, what? so wh- intellectual pageant. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? We've got uh, Congeniality, which is like, if you vote for anyone, you know, your mm-hmm. favourite gay man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, oh, and then we've got The Runway, Beachwear, oh. yeah. National Slash Regional Costumes, oh, and wear.
1: Oh my god! Oh, you're gonna smash that! Oh, I can't can't wait. wait. So that's where I'm gonna play around.
2: And then you've got audience vote, but only the audience who are there at the time and judges vote.
1: How can we support you with it? Can can people that aren't attending it still support in any way, or is it really just the audience vote? The charity fundraiser portion, or
2: we can yeah, the charity fundraiser is the only way. Which is a gag because I feel like the demographic of people who support me are the most likely to be more aggressive and marginalized financially Mm. yeah uh, we're brown we're trans
0: we're queer we're from yes yeah Yeah. well we'll we'll link to whatever we can and hopefully maybe there'll be some like rich older lesbian aunties of some of the listeners or something i'll have some extra cash they can uh, yeah like second wave business lesbians
1: yeah that's what we need that's the demographic (laughs) like the original l word like that kind of vibe we need like a bet porter to just swoop in
0: but yeah, so you've accomplished Mr. Gay England in lockdown. You're also now um, doing some work with MAC Makeup, which is, you are look you're surprised. You're just like, oh, me? I yeah. <laughs> just forgot all my incredible things. But so how did that, I, I've tried your um, filter on and it's stunning. Um, but how, so is that kind of, do they work with you? Like, how did you, how did that come about? Is makeup like a big, important thing to you?
2: not at all when i got the message (laughs) saying mac wanted to work with me i swear i thought you've got the wrong person like (laughs) i like do you know what i think this whole working with mac process has really taught me to not underestimate myself i guess i have put for a very long time i have Um, more off stage than on stage but one of my biggest insecurities when I do drag is that I rely too much on my body because I do take my clothes off a lot and one of the things that people tell me also because I do a lot of active sex work both online and offline I've got a very sensual energy like I'm very provocative on social media purposely but as a result the first thing that a lot of people tell me or what they talk to me about is um, sexiness or my body or my aesthetic or being attractive mm. I remember when I did a I did a drag competition a few years ago um, called NADC and it, it was really really great competition but I was in it for 10 weeks and every single week no matter what I performed from spoken words to burlesque to just sitting down and listening and thinking every week there was a comment about how I looked whether it was my body being attractive or being trans there was a comment on my my form so it's I'm I'm a big insecurity of mine is that that's something that I rely on and that there's not much substance to me or my drag beyond that so when Mac when I was contacted by Mac through um Crystal Rasmussen, who's a good friend of mine and she wrote an amazing book plug 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 diary of a drag mm, yes. it.
0: it's excellent, <laughs> excellent
2: it's an excellent book, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I genuinely, my first reaction I sent to my boyfriend and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, what am I going to do? Like, they think I can do makeup. Like, they think that I can, like, pull a look and, and, and they want me to do stuff. But I think they've got the wrong person. Should I not do it? Like, the huge invoice that I was going to turn away because I had no faith in my makeup abilities. And my boyfriend just looked at me and was like, "You hey, don't be a fucking idiot. Yeah, you've got this. Um... So yeah, I I had these meetings with Mac and then they started talking to me about like Paris Poo and London Fashion Week and creating makeup filters and sending me products. And I was like, rah, okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What drag queens feel like. I was living like (laughs) that. My God. I mean, I'm so glad that you've that you've had such a positive experience with it. Because I I would never imagine that you wouldn't see how incredible your your substance is. You're like brimming with su- substance, you know. You don't even need me to tell mm. you that, but I'm just, I'm so surprised you even ever saw yourself in that way. You're incredible.
2: I'm so grateful for this ring light because I'm just bare red.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's one of those things that's quite interesting with nudity and like sexuality on stage as well, because to be able to pull it off you need to appear like completely confident and in control and something with the audience but it takes a huge amount of like vulnerability I think to be able to kind of get to that point in performing to be I am going to expose myself at my most kind of intimate and private to a huge room full of people so you know it takes strength it does it, it sometimes yeah it's weird, it's weird also being objectified because of it, because of the amount of kind of yourself and your own kind of fragility that you have to put into it to kind of give it to people because people love it because it feels real and it feels sexy and they feel like you're sharing it with them but you're actually sharing it with a room of like, could be a thousand people, you're making all of them feel like they're special and it's just a job, like it's just getting it done isn't
1: it, yeah. Do you find there's a difference when like, because you, like you were saying earlier, because you do like a lot of burlesque and also like you you do a lot of nights where there's like a lot of queens on the lineup as well, as well as doing like worth your like king night that you run and more like nights that are prioritizing like performing masculinity and stuff. Do you find that people react in a different way to those kind of acts at different events? Or is it pretty much like, it doesn't matter, people are going to fetishize you and comment on you in that way? It's a big question. question. I just find it fascinating because I I haven't I haven't gotten nude on stage that often. I've only done it once in the context of a show where I had my drag family with me, you know, and I was being looked after a lot. And I I found it really interesting people's comments afterwards, because once you remove the boundary of clothing, they think they can just say whatever they they want but it was also in the context of, like, a theatre show, you know? So it was, like, mostly middle-class people or, like, press people that were like, you're so brave, you're so brave. And it's like, I'm not... I mean, what a backhanded compliment. Thank you so much. You know, but I'm just... I'm so interested about other people's experience with that. Do
2: you know, I wouldn't say that every experience um, or performance or audience fetishizes me, mm. but what I will say is that Every time I take my clothes off, no matter if I'm in a queer venue, a venue for like predominantly gay men, um, a venue full of straight women, at Hindus, they always feel like because that barrier is, is removed, um, there's, there's, there's blurred boundaries. Mm. And if they're not fetishizing me in like an overtly sexual way, then they're touching me because they want to understand or they're, they're like trying to, sometimes it feels like they're trying to provoke me with, with questions that us like I remember once um, I was, let's not put the venue in but I'm gonna tell you the venue, yeah. like, <laughs> which is ironic that most lovely venues in London and yet there's still so much problematic shit that gay men do
1: there.
2: Mm. I just finished performing on stage and this was just before my surgery and I was blinded and I remember I was standing in the bar just waiting for a drink and this man just comes up to me, my, my, my chest is taped and he just grabs my chest where the tape is as hard as he can just to figure out
1: what, oh my what it was. Foxy. And
2: then he just walks away as if nothing happened, and I think that's what got me the most. It wasn't like because like when people touch you, sometimes they ask questions, like "Oh, no, not know," well, or they at least talk to you. He just straight up walked up to me,
1: grabbed my chair, and walked straight back out. Oh my god, that's horrible. It's so fucked, isn't it? I think I've had my ass slapped by more gay men than like any other category of human that I can come up with it's like a, we're all in it together like I get to touch you like I own the experience of being a marginalized person so I can touch all other people so
2: much misogyny in the gay male community is unreal and, and being in um a pageant or a competition full of cis gay men is a vibe like watching I didn't know how much it would bother me having one cis gay man call another cis gay man a cunt <sighs> Until
0: I realised that none of them had any, and I was yeah. the only
2: person with one in that entire. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's
0: going... the same like, like fishy and that kind of thing. Like it's just it can be so jarring and discordant to be like, have you thought about what that means and what everyone else in this room might have? And oh, it's, it takes so much energy. That's <laughs> <laughs> so why I'm like
1: locked. Out, it's like the one good thing of lockdown. I'm like, why do I have so much energy?
0: I'm trying to navigate traumatic spaces <laughs> yeah, all the time? Just stay inside. <laughs> With Woof, and we did a gig at Southbank with Woof, but I think it was Lily um, Lily Snapdragon was comparing, who is just incredible. And mm. there was an outdoor gig, and it was a thing of like general public, pe- no tickets, people can kind of wander up, watch. And from the minute um, she came on stage, she was just like, okay, these are the rules for like consent. This is like, you don't touch people. And say so they ask you to touch, if a performer wants to touch you, they'll do this if you don't want that this is what you do back and it was this watching her talk to like a thousand people so clearly about like consent and respect and how this can be super sexy but also it's only sexy if we're all enjoying it and we're all here for it I was just like she was incredible it was just but also Mm. just seeing someone take the time to do that in such a big space where there's hundreds of just drunk people and everybody was wrapped everybody was listening she took no shit from anyone I was just like so inspired by her that day I was just like yeah, you need to talk when you're when you're in an environment where you are being sexual with the audience and it, it is fun and we I don't want the audience to feel like on edge, but it's making sure everybody understands what the what the playground is, what the rules are, and then it's everybody's free to have a fucking great time within it.
2: Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. I love it lily has actually taught me a lot about just navigating these spaces. And it's almost as it's almost like when you like experience intersectional marginalisation, you know what you need to say and what you need to do and you know what's mm. what from the get-go. That's why I love, like, compares like Lily Snatch Dragon and Sadie Sinner and Ruby oh, Jones. Oh, as well, is, yeah. Mm. Yeah, they just know, they know. They've been dealing
1: with these men for ages.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, Chia, like, I've, I've wondered this for a while. You're, I mean, we're all young, but you must have been so young when you started drag. Like, when did, how did you start? What brought you to performing drag in the first place? Well, I was
2: at uni yeah.
1: uh, and I was about
2: 19. And I remember when I was at uni, I was always kind of in a gender identity crisis, but this mm-hmm. was like when it started to peak. Mm-hmm. And I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race, but I was also doing sex work and camming as well. Mm-hmm. And I was very femme very fan presenting had really long hair, beautiful nails, big titties, which are now gone, <laughs> <laughs> um, and like I would play up to my feminists a lot when I was doing canning, and I remember watching this show about drag and, and makeup and gender, and knowing that I was completely intrigued, almost infatuated, but still... Very critical in terms of like I love something about this, like I am completely obsessed with it. But also that's not me. Like I'm they they send very clear messages that people like me are not allowed in that space. And you know when you
1: yeah.
2: are someone who is not a cis man, I feel like you feel that immediately. Like if you're excluded from a space, no one has to tell you. You just see it and you feel it. Yeah. So. I started questioning um, drag and gender and masculinity, and, and if what would be the opposite of a drag queen and do they exist? So I remember very vividly, like about to go on cam and start this session, but also taking a step back and Googling what is a drag king or drag kings. And the only thing that I could find was maybe like one or two YouTube tutorials and add them all. And I was like, okay, cool. I started playing with makeup and I was like, do you know what would be hilarious? Well, it was very funny to me. I was like, what if I do this like drag king type makeup thing and just log in to canning and sex work and just troll with all these middle-aged cis men and just live my best life? So oh my God. I That's amazing. <laughs> done logged in started taking pictures and just watched them completely confused or horrified
0: <laughs> i bet there were a bunch of them that were really intrigued as well like.
1: yeah you probably helped them yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, we wanted to because we don't have our usual outlets for queer range we wanted to have a drag it corner where if there's anything that People want to just have a little rant about, or even just like a mild, irksome thing, the drag it corner is for that thing. So, if you want to have a rant about anything that's annoyed you over the past, I mean, we'll say, yeah, you can go for it. Is there anything?
2: Yes, there is. I'm so glad you have asked. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, just since I have been announced as the first trans finalist for Mysticate England, the backlash on social media, especially Twitter, has been ridiculous mainly from within the LGBT plus community, mainly from cis gay men and cis lesbians. For example, the LGB Alliance. Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> yeah. They actually like launched a whole campaign against me and like it was crazy. But I think I just want to take this moment to just be like, listen, gay men can love pussy and lesbians can love dick because humans are not defined by their genitalia and sexuality is complex if i am a trans man and i say i'm a man and i date another man guess what we're gay whether you like it or not so i don't i don't even know if like as teens we we want to like, stay within the LGBT community or whatever, but that's our choice to make. All these people, like the LGB alliance, are like, Oh, we don't want the T. Like, guess what? Some T's are also the L, and some T's are also the B, and some T's are also the G. Like, we have sex too. Trans people have sex. Trans people have a sexuality. Like, what's wrong with you? Wake up. Damn. Yeah. Thank
1: you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh
0: my god,
1: the fucking LGBT alliance oh. are. Yeah like satan's anus like what the fuck is wrong with them like i just i'm sure there won't be any turfs <laughs> like, listening to this podcast if but... there
0: are turn off and throw <laughs> what oh, you have God. out the window and pop off because you're not welcome here <laughs> oh i'm <people laughs> <Yeah. scum.
1: laughs> okay, Really? that was a very good answer to the the rage corner though so
0: um <laughs> chio how can people support you do you have a patreon do you want to do your social media handles tell us what you, anything fun you've got coming up you'd like people to know about opposite of the drag corner elevation excellence corner. <laughs> elevation, <Yeah. excellent
2: laughs> corner. Yes, i love that um yeah you can follow me at prince chio which is C H I Y O on all social media handles, especially Instagram. I've got merch for sale. I've got these really cool t-shirts that have my face on it and then it says, boys bleed, period. And I'm wearing a tampon crown. How
1: that? Cool oh my is that? God, so good. Also, Amazing.
2: Um, yeah, and then also on my social media link, you can find out how you can support me from Mr Gay England, how you can donate to the charity fundraiser, how you can just tip me, how you can subscribe to my OnlyFans and like actually see that gay men have selfies
0: because I'm not making
2: it <laughs> So Yeah, that's it for me.
0: Oh, thank you so much for talking to us, Gio. Always a ray of light.
2: It's always a question. I love you, Gio. I love tech so much. Like honestly, when I think about iconic I, I was going to say collections, but just even as individual people, just like iconic presences that just make queer spaces in the UK, in London, so much better. Pex are always the one that I'm, I look forward to chat to, I look forward to work with. Like, you lot are absolute gem. So,
0: You're you. going to make me cry again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, come. Yeah. <sighs> one day we'll be on a stage together again. I, yeah. I just know it. I know. one great day. day.
1: You've listened to Chiel talk about his aesthetic and I'm sure it has put you in the mood for the return of your favourite PEX boy Victor Victorious with Queer Histories Fashion
3: Edition. I'm Victor Victorious, and this is Queer Fashion Histories. This week, instead of looking at clothing in film as a source of queer history, I took a few steps further back to the late 18th and 19th centuries. I let my mind wander across to Iran, known more properly then as Persia. Although there are some glorious early daguerreotype photographs towards the end of the period I looked at, I focused specifically on the Qahar dynasty, which ran from 1785 to 1925. And so I got to bury my head in wall paintings, portraits, miniatures and tapestries, and it was wonderful. I'll put a full list of sources, as always, in the notes for this episode, but I want to do a special shout-out to the Iranian academic Afsena Najbabadi, who pioneered this line of research and from whom I took a lot of my information for this week's story, who I recommend you look up because she is an absolute badass. Najmah is an Iranian-American historian and gender theorist, born in Iran in 1949 and is currently a professor at Harvard University. But she wasn't always a historian. Najmah originally trained as a physicist in Tehran in the 60s and didn't pursue history and gender research until later, even completing her PhD in Manchester in 1984. Although she grew up in Iran, she hasn't returned there since the political environment grew more tumultuous since the 80s. But on the feminist community in Iran, she says she still feels very much a part of it. I like to think that Najmabadi is an excellent lesson in how you don't need to take a traditional route to get to a certain place, which I take to heart because it's one of the main reasons I look to clothing to gain an insight into our queer history. But I digress. Let's get to the story. The art of the Kaha period is special and not just because it's beautiful, which it is, but because it shows a moment in history and a place outside of the West where the gender binary as we know it didn't exist in exactly the same way. When we look at Western portraits from this period, the male-female difference is stark and defined. Specifically, the years 1800 to 1830, roughly the time that the Persian Shah Kahar reigned, Western European fashionable portraiture shows a breed of pale, delicate creature whose only colour in her face is a sweet blush across the cheeks, framed by abundant curls. Our typical woman wears a wide-necked gown, emphasising her soft bust, set off by a nipped-in sash or belt around the ribcage. The male subject shows wispy hair with a clean-shaven face, but is contrastingly covered to the chin by high-necked, structured jackets and tight stocks, often displayed in military dress. In short, there is no mistaking one sex for the other. When we turn our gaze towards Persia, the visual tale couldn't be more different, and it's incredible. Najma Bhadi investigates these portraits in her fantastically named piece called Women with Mustaches, Men Without Beards. In this piece, Najwa uses paintings to look at sexuality, sexual preferences, and ideas of sexual attractiveness, and she argues that, in these paintings at least, they didn't conform to a binary concept of gender at all, especially not to Western standards of the time. A great example shown in paintings at the time is the concept of the amrad. This was the word used to signify a young, beardless male, who was seen as particularly beautiful and desirable to other men just as the first downy growth came in, as one person put it. These young, beautiful men were allowed to engage in homoerotic practices without being seen as effeminate or less male while they were still in the early stages of their lives. Mysticism and poetry even emphasised homoerotic love and friendship as an ideal. The Amrad is central to the idea that notions of beauty were largely undifferentiated by gender during this time period, and we can see this so clearly through the clothing and facial hair shown in portraiture. I'll describe this one portrait of a princely Amrad to you. In it, the young man looks out of the painting from a face framed by thick, heavy brows that just about meet in the middle and attach at the sides to wide, soft sideburns that run all the way down his cheeks, He has a little shadow on his face to go with the slightly coquettish set of his mouth. His clothes are sumptuous and full of embellishments. He sports a low neckline with a very tight bodice and sleeves of deepest blue that flare out into voluptuous layered skirts that flash red and stop just above high-heeled sculpted shoes and some little furry creatures with absolutely ridiculous humanoid facial expressions. If I look now at another portrait, this one of a woman from the same time period, the key characteristics are almost exactly the same. She sports the same tilt of the head and slightly tempting gaze, but crucially, the same broad, dark monobrow dances across the width of her forehead. She too has the shadow of that downy growth across her lower jaw. And the silhouette of her clothing isn't just similar. It's the same, right down to the mix of jewel-toned blues and reds. My favourite portraits are the ones that show androgynous, amorous couples almost indistinguishable from each other in their faces and dress. There's a wonderful one where a couple that looks almost identical are at the centre of the picture. They gaze into each other's eyes and are entwined on some sort of couch or settle. One of the figures has their arm draped nonchalantly into their lover's lap while receiving an offered drink which is raised to their lips by their bow across from them. Both wearing headdresses and both swathed in layers of rich fabric, both genders are desirable because of the same characteristics. Their sexuality and charm is represented in the same way. And the important thing is that these portraits are in no way anomalies. The same similarities can be seen across so many. Of course, this makes it sound like a queer gender utopia, and it's not that simple. When the full beard grew in, men were expected to become the desirers rather than the objects. But even then, aside from long, luscious beards, the differences in clothing and hairstyles between men and women were minimal. And the story that these portraits tell us is still that beauty was not as rigidly gendered in Cahar as it was in Western Europe during the same period. Unfortunately, this wasn't to last. Najwa Badi writes that with the growing modern influence of Europeans in the late 1800s came shame and the idea that the exclusion of women was a cause of perversion. In other words homoerotic relationships were wrong and women needed to not only be included but more clearly denoted as the objects of sexual desire. The results of this are seen in portraits and it's almost comical how obvious it is. For example, women start cropping up literally fully clothed apart from their newly bared breasts and men sported almost unrealistically large beards. But this new era of breast-filled, beard-abundant portraiture can't erase what went before. And I think the fact that gender fluidity in paintings of the Cahar period is being recognised again is fucking great. I'm Victor Victorious, and this has been Queer Fashion Histories.
1: I'm feeling pretty tired after learning so much, so... I've asked Izzy Man to come back and give you another sexy story time.
4: Well, hello there. I'm Izzy Aman and this is your favourite sexy story time. Thanks, Izzy. And hello, drag fans. I'm Isabel and this episode we're channelling Jadenna and going classic or rather classical. Now, you might well know some of Ovid's metamorphoses. King Midas, the original Goldfinger, or even Icarus, whose wax wings tragically melted when he flew too close to the sun. But do you know the story of Hermaphroditus? Now, this story has been reinterpreted in all sorts of less and more inclusive ways, but I firmly believe the original text is queer AF, so here it is. Now you will hear where the pool of Salmachus got its reputation from, how its enervating waters alter and soften the limbs they touch. When he was fifteen years old, Hermaphroditus left his native mountains and Ida, his nursery, delighted to wander in unknown lands and gaze at unknown rivers, his enthusiasm making light of travel. He even reached the Lycian cities and the Carrions by Lycia. Here he saw a pool of water, clear to its very depths. A nymph lives there, but she is not skilled for the chase or used to flexing the bow or the effort of running the only naiad not known by swift-footed Diana. She only bathes her shapely limbs in the pool, often combs out her hair with a comb that is made of boxwood from sitoris and looks in the water to see what suits it best. Then, draped in a translucent robe, she lies down on the soft leaves or in the soft grass. Often she gathers flowers. And she was also busy gathering them then, when she saw the boy, and what she saw she longed to have. She did not go near him yet, though she was quick to go to him, waiting until she had calmed herself, checked her appearance, composed her expression, and merited being seen as beautiful. Then she began to say, "'Youth, O oh, most worthy to be thought a god! If you are a god, you must be Cupid, or, if you are mortal, whoever engendered you is blessed, and any brother of yours is happy.' Any sister fortunate, but far beyond them and far more blessed is she, if there is a she, promised to you, whom you think worthy of marriage. If there is someone, let mine be a stolen pleasure. If not, I will be the one, and let us enter into marriage together. After this the naiad was silent. A red flush branded the boy's face. He did not know what love was, though the blush was very becoming.' "'Apples are tinged with this colour, "'hanging in a sunlit tree, "'or ivory painted with red, "'or the moon eclipsed, blushing in her brightness "'while the bronze shields clash in vain to rescue her. "'The nymph begged endlessly, at least a sister's kiss, "'and, about to throw her arms round his ivory-white neck, "'he said, "'Stop this, or shall I go and leave this place and you?' "'Salmachus, afraid, turned away,' and pretended to go, saying, "'I freely surrender this place to you. Be my guest.' But she still looked back, and hid herself among bushes in the secluded woods on her bended knees. But he, obviously at leisure, as if unobserved, walks here and there on the grass, and playfully, at the end of his walk, dips his feet and ankles in the pool. Then, quickly captured by the coolness of the enticing water, He stripped the soft clothes from his slender body. Then she was truly pleased, and Salmachus was inflamed with desire for his naked form. The nymph's eyes blazed with passion, as when Phoebus's likeness is reflected from a mirror. She can scarcely wait, hardly contain her delight, now longing to hold him, now unable to keep love to herself. He... Clapping his open palms to his side, dives into the pool, and leading with one arm and then the other, he gleams through the pure water, as if one sheathed an ivory statue or bright lilies behind clear glass. Grant you this, you gods, she says, that no day comes to part me from him or him from me. Her prayer reached the gods now the entwined bodies of the two were joined together as ivy often interlaces tall tree trunks and one form covered both just as when someone grafts a twig into the bark they see both grow joined together and develop as one so when they were mated together in a close embrace they were not two but a twofold form so that they could not be called male or female and seemed neither one or other When he saw now that the clear waters which he had penetrated as a man had made him a creature of both sexes, and his limbs had been softened there, Hermaphroditus, stretching out his hands, said, but not in a man's voice, Father and mother, grant this gift to your son, who bears both your names. Whoever comes to these fountains as a man, let him leave them half a man, and alter suddenly at the touch of these waters. Both his parents, moved by this, granted the prayer of their twin-formed son and altered the pool to make it so.
1: have been listening to the drag king cast from pex drag kings if you enjoyed it then please donate to pex's patreon where we'll shower you with extra content like the royalty you are and if you can't afford that then please subscribe and give us a five star rating on itunes because it really does help us out you can also follow us on instagram at pex drag kings on twitter at pex drag and on facebook at pex kings the Drag King cast is presented by Jodie Mitchell, a.k.a. John Travolva, and Katie Bilmer, a.k.a. Luce Willis. And you also heard from Vic Aubrey, a.k.a. Victor Victorious, and Isabel Adamarco young a.k.a. Izzy a man? DKC is produced by Katie Boomer, Jodie Mitchell, and PEX's executive producers, Ellen Spence and Daisy Hale, artistic directed by Celine Lowenthal, and has music from Anya Pearson of Dreamnails. artwork by Emma Hayden, and photography by Ra Petherbridge. DKC is recorded live from our own homes because there's a global pandemic, and as always, you really should be staying inside. Pretty please, I'll love you forever. Bye.